we begin a whole new book of the Bible, Haggai, one of the minor prophets, with this very dramatic image of God's house not being built. It is an absence. It is a vacuum. It is a void. There is a platform there for the temple to rest on. There is a flat area where it used to be, but it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And as the exiles from Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire, look back, and as they've come back under Cyrus, they are back in the land, and yet there's still no temple. There are, however, pretty nice houses in Jerusalem. Some of them have paneling. Um, hard to know what this fully means. A wood-paneled office is sort of a thing from my childhood, maybe. Um, not something we do so much anymore. But this was apparently the height of luxury, the marble countertops of the ancient world. To have a paneled house was, I suppose, to have a house built with stone or some other material and then have the insides lined with wood, which would, <coughs> I guess, do a number of things other than just look nice. But it was the way the rich people built their houses. One of the reasons why the people were sent into exile was their lack of jubilee, their lack of Sabbath. Every seven years, every farmer was supposed to let the land rest. You were supposed to let your land rest. And that was not just like plots of land rotating around, but all the land of the land was supposed to rest. There was supposed to be such an abundance and care in how things were distributed during six years that when the seventh year came, everybody had a year off. Imagine how good life could be if every seven years you had a whole year where you were off work and then you went back again. Um, as far as we know, this never happened. Even though it was in the law code of Moses, um, it seemed like by the time the sixth year rolled around and you were doing pretty well as a farmer and you were selling a lot of produce, it was kind of hard to take that next year off. You know, why not? We can grow another year, make some more money, build a bigger house, build a bigger barn, etc. It was really hard for the people to, to do this part of the law. And every 50 years, there was supposed to be a year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was when everybody who had bought land in the last 50 years had to give it back to the people that they, whoever had bought it from, originally bought it from. Um, so as the shifting fortunes of different family units rose and fell over 50 years, at the end of the 50 years, it would all go back to whoever had it 50 years ago. This Talk about an egalitarian or equal system that would make it very clear that nobody could ever become sort of a robber baron over anybody else. That every 50 years, it would go back to those allotments of land that took place when they conquered the land of Canaan from the Canaanites when they came out of Egypt. So all the land would go back to those original groups of people that had them when they came over. It would be, you can't imagine this. I, I can't imagine this. The kind of radical 
redistribution, which is simply just giving people back what they used to have, um, how that would change a society, how that would change what we could call the ambition in society. And you can imagine that when year 48 and 49 roll around, there's a lot of people who are invested in not doing the Jubilee. Those are all the people who have made a killing in the last 10. Um, and the people that have no power, who have lost everything, are kind of hopeful for the Jubilee. They're going to get something back, but they don't because the powerful say no. Well, God looks down on this and says, okay, you won't let the land rest. You won't forgive everybody their debts every 50 years. Let's go to Babylon and the land will rest. And this is what God has said God would do. And this is exactly what happens. The land rests. So when the people of God come back to the land, it's doing really well. There's uh, The crops are growing even better. The land is rested. Uh, the nitrogen is back in the soil. Things are good again. And the harvests are abundant. And they're building houses. And Haggai looks around and says, you're spending all this time building your house while the house of the Lord lies in ruins. It's just a pile of rocks. I think it's a pretty good principle for churches to reflect the architecture of the people that attend them. Um, if you go to New York City and you walk by the brownstones uh, that are selling for like $20 million, you should expect that the churches on the corner look a lot like that. Um, when you go to the Navajo Reservation, um, you would expect that the church there would look a lot like the places people live in. When you go around the world, this should be the expectation. Um, and when you go to Pflugerville, Texas, you should see that our church looks a lot like the places people live in. Uh, we're working on that. That's one of our goals in this, this next couple weeks and months. But that is the, that is the reflection. Um, this is not to say that uh, this is not to say that um, you know every church building should look like St. Thomas on Fifth Avenue, or every church building should look like a, um, an empty warehouse where nobody uh, is, is storing things anymore. This this means our church should look like where we live. Um, and the places we live, the kind of things we like in the places we live. Uh, that's the reflection. And Haggai points this out. And he says, there will be judgment. If you spend all your time building your paneled house and the house of God lies in ruins, eventually things aren't going to work out again. There's going to be a drought. Um, there's going to be a trouble producing the kind of grain and the wine and the oil that previously was produced. The animals and all the things that go with it are going to be greatly reduced. And this could be seen on two levels. One, on a mystical level, that God is ultimately the one that makes crops grow, that makes animals reproduce. God is the life source and life power behind all living things, and even things that we consider not to be living, like soil and rocks. But God is the animating source of that, the soul of the world. And when you worship God in spirit and truth, God animates God's body in the world, the animals, the plants, the things that grow, that we eat. And so just from a mystical standpoint, that's true. But also from a practical standpoint, when people orient their face towards a direction together, when people look to an altar together, when people look to a cross together, when they look to a temple together, 
When we work together on different things, whether it's sharing our resources financially or sharing the, the work of our hands, when we work towards something like that, uh, everything else everything else comes into line with that mission. And that is what God is doing in this temple, saying, let us bring together these things. Let us bring uh, the efforts that we are all putting in individually into the places that we live and sleep. Let's put them into this place that we call a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of connection with God. And that is what Haggai encourages people to do. And they do it. They listen. There are many examples of people not listening in Holy Scripture. And here we have an example of the time when people actually listened. And they do it. And it's a glorious thing to behold. And so as we um, think of the places in our lives that we have to, um, that we have neglected, our spiritual lives, the places that we've set aside, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because of a lot of other things that have happened to us, um, it's time to come home. It's time to return to that first love. It's time to start getting out the trowel and the stone cutter and the uh, levers and pulleys and ox cart teams to get these stones back in place. The invitation is always there. And God loves us. God loves you. And God wants those things to be restored in your life. Amen. For this week of Advent, and you may be lighting your candle there at home or wherever you are or in your heart or mind. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.